So I got a question from Shiraz via YouTube, basically saying that businesses he's finding for sale seem to be priced for owner operators, but don't make sense from an investor's point of view. Hey there, everyone. It's uh, David Barnett from davidcbarnett.com, the blog site, YouTube channel, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google podcast, where I talk about buying, selling, managing, and financing small and medium-sized businesses. This week, I've got a question that was submitted as a YouTube comment. Let me read it to you. Um, it's from Shiraz, and he says, I have been looking for a business to buy mainly to operate as an absentee owner, and I do plan on going through your Advantage course at some point. Well, in today's answer, you're going to get a couple of sneak peeks of that course, let me tell you. I have a professional job as a software development manager in IT along with an MBA, which has decent pay, so I don't want to forego that, but would like to supplement my income with a business and hopefully grow it over time to eventually become a full-time business owner slash investor and have something for retirement. My question is, when looking at businesses for sale on online websites, he mentions one, but they're all the same. You find that the typical price is two to three times their seller's discretionary income, but oftentimes the owner works full-time as a manager in the business, which from my perspective is wages, cost, and needs to be taken out from the income. So when I value the business, it is two to three times of net earnings minus owner's salary, whereas the owner views his salary as part of the net earnings and uses that as a base for valuing the business. For example, I typically see a business with seller's discretionary earnings of 60 grand, but the owner works full-time. If I were to run the business with the manager and pay him or her 40 grand, I am left with 20,000 a year in earnings, which is okay for me and what I am looking for. But then the value of the business to me is 40 to 60 grand, so I can get my investment back in two to three years. But the sellers don't see it that way and they ask for 120 to 180 grand. I can't possibly pay that as that would mean not getting my initial investment back for another six to nine years, which obviously doesn't work. How do you suggest we overcome this misalignment between the seller and the buyer? Great question, Shiraz. So I think the first thing that we need to talk about that relates to your question is something that you would in fact study in Business Buyer Advantage. And it's the difference between SDE and normalized EBITDA. So you mentioned that the websites talk about seller's discretionary income. We often refer to it as seller's discretionary earnings. It's the total amount of money available to an owner operator that works full time. And it's often the cash flow basis for small, what we call main street businesses. And so what will happen is people will add back all of the expenses to the net income of the business that are personal in nature or that are non-cash, such as depreciation, amortization, and interest expense, with the idea being that the buyer has to work out their own financing costs from the cash flow that's available. Now, that seller's discretionary earnings in your example, you said it was about $60,000, and the sellers were asking for two to three times that amount of money. So three times SDE is very expensive and hardly anyone would ever pay that amount of money. But it's hard to look at the value of a business within a vacuum of only looking at the cash flow. Let me give you an example of why. 
Um, you could have, for example, a foundation company that makes $200,000 a year of SDE. And if you multiplied that by three, you'd end up with 600000 But the business might have over a million dollars worth of machinery. So it's not the only metric that we look at. And as the size of the business changes, we look at different measures of cash flow. So for example, if we add a wage expense to that SDE, if we, if we take out the manager's salary like you suggest, then we go from a seller's discretionary earnings of 60000 to a normalized EBITDA of twenty. if we assume that the manager needs to be paid 40000 a year. So that normalized EBITDA of $20,000, what you're saying is that it would take you six to nine years for you to get that money back if you were to buy this example business that you're talking about. In reality, you'd never get your money back. And here's why. While we use normalized EBITDA as a way to compare one business versus another, um, you never actually see that money because it quite literally is earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. And so if your business has a profit, you're going to have taxes. And if you're going to borrow any money to make the investment, you're going to have an interest expense. And depreciation and amortization are the ways that accountants recognize the fact that things wear out. So if you own the business over any period of time, you're going to have to replace equipment, which is going to come out of your normalized EBITDA. So in the example that you cite, we're not actually talking about buying a business. We're talking about buying a job. And the EBITDA level of cash flow is often looked at by investors who are looking at businesses that have over half a million dollars of normalized EBITDA. And the reason why they look at EBITDA is because when you get to that size of company, the business often has some degree of professional management that will survive the transition meaning that when the seller leaves, there are going to be supervisors and managers and different people who will be there. They're going to remain uh, to help the buyer manage the business. And in fact, you could even have a professional manager who's going to stay during the after the transition happens, which means you're looking at a true investment, right? In the smaller businesses with less than half a million dollars of EBITDA, really we're looking at the world of owner-managers and we look at a multiple of SDE because the buyer has two different hats on that they normally confuse, the job seeker hat and the investor hat. So a buyer of one of these smaller businesses, they ask the question, if I buy this business, how much money am I going to get? And so in this case, they're shown a seller's discretionary earnings of $60,000 a year. And they believe that investing their money and their time is going to give them that cash flow. Doing a proper cash flow analysis will demonstrate that they won't get that entire amount of money, as I've just demonstrated, because we've got interest and taxes and equipment has to be replaced, etc. So when I look at very small businesses, I do want to see what the EBITDA is, because if the EBITDA is really tiny, it basically says to me that I'm not really looking at a business. I'm looking at a job. Well, who would want to pay money to buy a job? There actually is a marketplace for jobs. And it's typically people who, for whatever reason, cannot access the employment market. And so this is where you get people, you know, for example, immigrants or people who haven't gone to college who want more, they want to earn a higher degree of income, but they're not going to qualify for jobs 
whether it's because of a lack of experience in a new country or a language barrier or the fact that they don't have a certain college degree, they're not going to qualify for the higher paying jobs. So they're going to be the kind of person who's going to buy a business that you're describing. When we look at a business, we look at it from multiple points of view. We look at it from different you know, evaluation metrics. And for you to figure out a kind of business that you can purchase and own as a passive investor is likely going to have to be a bigger business because you're going to need to be able to not only have the manager in there, but you're also going to have to have the, the income beyond the manager's salary to cover all those things I mentioned and earn a, some kind of rate of return for yourself. And you're also going to have to have a big enough organization that you're going to be able to implement the policies, procedures, and systems and be able to train other employees so that if the manager didn't show up one day or was ill or someone else important in the organization didn't show up, that you have people that can cross over and cover each other. Otherwise, it's going to fall on you. And if you have your high-income job that you want to keep, you can't be drawn into the business and use up all your vacation days covering off the manager of the business who goes on vacation. And I've seen that happen, right? So um, don't even look at the prices when you're looking at these businesses that are on the online websites. And this is another thing that you learn in Business Buyer Advantage um, because the price often doesn't mean anything. I regularly see businesses with an asking price two to three times what it should be. And the sellers don't know. And oftentimes they're working with brokers who don't know what the business should be worth. What you should be looking for is a business that has a high enough revenue level so that according to its industry and the research that you've done, it should have an EBITDA or an SDE high enough for you to be able to pay that manager and have some kind of return after you've paid for all those other things. You look at the industry type and the revenue and you decide, is that the kind of business that I want to be involved in running? And if it is, then you get more information and you figure out what it's worth to you. And then you can understand from what basis you can negotiate. Very rarely do businesses sell for the price that people are asking. And oftentimes you're going to have to reach out, negotiate with these people, and then back off and wait and then re-engage with them and then back off and re-engage with them. Uh, my group coaching program, Business Buyer Adventure, we see this a lot where the buyers will go, they'll engage with someone, they'll have a conversation, they'll start a relationship and they just can't come to terms on the price or the terms of sale and then they end up parting ways. And then after a certain period of time, there's a re-engagement and people start talking again. So what you're trying to do is possible. There are certain things you have to watch out for and the businesses that are most easily run by an absent owner tend to be the simplest businesses um, you know, corner store, gas station, laundromat, that kind of thing. And because they are simpler to run and they can be run by absent owners, it tends to drive up the prices. So that's another thing that you should be aware of because there are other people out there with the same idea as you or people that are trying to overcome some kind of personal deficit in that, that blocks them from the labor market, like someone new to the country who may not have a good command of the language. You know, they're also going to be seeking one of those simpler types of businesses because it's something that they can actually run even though they have, you know, difficulty communicating, for example. It doesn't take a whole lot of learning to be able to learn how to make change for someone in a new language. 
Anyway, hope that helps. And you really should sign up for Business Buyer Advantage. It's filled with tons of information that are going to help you on your journey to be a successful business owner. And with that, I'll see you later. Cheers.